0: Here it is,
1: from deep inside your radio, ladies and gentlemen, Larry, I don't have to listen to your phone calls to know what you're doing. Well, thank you very much, Vice President Joe Biden. As a matter of fact, I, I, I was just thinking about you because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you, you probably are aware that uh, President Obama, you remember him, uh, announced this week, didn't it, I don't know if he actually announced it. I think it just sort of slipped out. That uh, the United States is going to uh, have the troops that are remaining in Afghanistan after the cessation of hostilities in the end of this year engaging is enlarging their mission to uh, something that sounds a lot like hostilities. Just uh, to put you in the wayback machine for a moment, December twentieth, twenty ten. Vice President Joe Biden has promised that all American troops will leave Afghanistan within four years. That would be December of 2014, stating that we're going to be totally out of there come hell or high water by 2014. Apparently we had. Oh, I see. We had hell and high water. So that's how he gets out of it. Uh, Nonetheless, there will be a, a remarkable reversal of normal protocol. The Thanksgiving turkey this week will pardon Joe Biden. And now... The passage from public to private and back again continues to uh, make news this week uh and and uh, partly because thanks to our old friends at goldman sachs and what wonderful friends they are they uh, you know in the in the wake of the financial crisis they got themselves named a bank well you could do that too couldn't you sure you could uh just to uh, make it make it nicer for them uh a an examiner Supervisor at the New York Federal Reserve Bank, Carmen Cigara, whose uh, personal responsibility was to keep tabs on Goldman Sachs, um, had some career difficulties after she reported that uh, Goldman Sachs didn't seem to have a company-wide conflict of interest policy. Uh, she made news again recently when she made public some tape recordings indicating that Goldman Sachs had um, participated in a deal which An official at the New York Federal Reserve called shady but legal, basically for the purpose of making a a Spanish bank, Banco Santander, seem more financially sound than it actually was. Uh, She was expecting, was Carmen Segarra to testify this week at the Senate Finance Committee hearings on matters relating to the New York Fed. She wasn't allowed to, but William Dudley, the head of the New York Fed, was, and he got a bit of a grilling from Senator Elizabeth Warren about all of this, but you know, William Dudley, head of the New York Fed, his previous job, oh yeah, 10 years at Goldman Sachs. There's also another investigation of Goldman Sachs, uh, along with J.P. Morgan and a couple of other banks, for their increasingly large role, since federal laws loosened restrictions on this, their increasingly large roles in worldwide commodity trade. Uh, In case that seems a little bit abstract to you, a New York Times story a couple years ago went into great detail on how Goldman Sachs had, uh, at least for a moment in time, pretty close to cornered the market, the world market on aluminum, and uh, also owned a a large amount of aluminum warehouses, and uh, got into an interesting business where Rather than deliver aluminum to the customers who wanted it, like Budweiser, for your beer cans, they would just ship the aluminum from one warehouse to another and uh, rack up warehousing and shipping costs, which they charge to the ultimate customer. That's right, you, your beer costs more, thanks to Goldman Sachs. All this coming about at a time when, according to the New York Times, uh, Goldman Sachs was beginning to shed its uh, poor reputation. That it had gathered, garnered in the wake of the financial crisis. That I, I was saddened to hear that, not that they were that this happened at this t- time, but that they were beginning to shed it. I think we can do something about that. Hello, welcome to the show.
2: When Messer Sachs and Goldman met, said Mr. Goldman, for years and years, our guys have got the most between the ears. Said Mr. Sachs, let's unhook the reins and find new ways to profit off our traders' brains.
1: Just off to Leicester Square in London, England, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen.
3: Once I had a secret
0: that lived within the heart of me.
1: Well, years before Edward Snowden sparked a public outcry with the disclosure that the National Security Agency had been secretly collecting American telephone records, some NSA executives voiced strong objections to the program. Not this program. I don't think they'd heard. Oh, sure, they heard it. current and former intelligence officials tell Associated Press that the program exceeded the agency's mandate to focus on foreign spying would do little to stop terror plots, the executives argued. This 2009 dissent, led by a senior NSA official and embraced by others at the agency, prompted the Obama administration to consider, but ultimately abandon, a plan to stop gathering the records. The secret internal debate had not been previously reported. The Senate this week rejected the administration's proposal that would have curbed the program and left the records in the hands of the telephone companies rather than the government. That was similar to the situation the administration quietly rejected in 2009, so now... The administration and Congress agree that let's just keep it the way it is. The now retired NSA official, a longtime code breaker, ouch, who rose to top management, had just learned about the program. In 2009, he argued to then NSA director Keith Alexander that storing the calling records of nearly every American fundamentally changed the character of the agency. Oh, it's got a character now. Next thing you know, it will have a plot. Alexander politely disagreed former official spoke on condition of anonymity because he didn't want to lose his legs. says he knows of no evidence the program was used for other than its stated purpose, but he warned of a scandal if it should be disclosed that NSA was storing records of private calls by Americans to psychiatrists, lovers, and suicide hotlines, among others. Alexander didn't dispute the former official's account, though he said he disagreed that the program was improper. The uh, dissenting officials wanted the NSA to stop collecting the records and instead had the agency quickly send queries to the phone companies as needed, letting the companies store the records as they're required to under telecom rules. In a departure from the bill that failed Tuesday, they wanted to require the companies to provide the metadata in a standardized manner to allow speedy processing. The lack of such a provision was among the many reasons many Republicans say they opposed the legislation in the Senate this week. And the most transparent administration in history is fiercely resisting the release of an executive summary of a 6,300-page Senate report on the CIA's torture program. That's what Senate aides tell Foreign Policy magazine, raising fears the public will never receive a full accounting of the Bush administration's torture practices. At issue is the report's identification of individual CIA officers by pseudonyms. The CIA and the White House want the pseudonyms completely stricken. To further... Protect the identities of CIA spies. So the fake names they want taken out. Senate aides say many of these redactions are unnecessary and render the report unreadable, unlike many other government reports. Now, even after Senate Democrats agreed to remove some pseudonyms at the White House request, the Oval Office is still haggling for more redactions. Until recently, the administration had avoided taking sides in the spat between the CIA and the Senate Intelligence Committee over the 40 million five-year study that's harshly critical of the agency. However, White House Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough is now personally negotiating with Senate Intelligence Chairwoman Diane Feinstein for further redactions. McDonough, it just so happens, is close, according to Foreign Policy magazine, is close to John Brennan, who just happens to be director of the CIA. Cozy in there, isn't it? The most transparent. Yes, it is. You can see right through it. This week's Kabuki comes from Washington. President Obama met this week with Saudi Arabia's Prince Mutaib, the son of King Abdullah and the head of the Saudi Arabian National Guard. The president thanked him for Saudi Arabia's role in the U.S. led coalition fighting the Islamic State group. The White House says Obama praised Saudi Arabia's role in promoting Mideast peace and stability. That means he didn't mention the fact that the Saudi government for years has been funding Wahhabist groups outside of Saudi Arabia, sort of to filter off the dissent that might otherwise percolate inside the borders of the kingdom. This week's kabuki, for your listening pleasure. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Something else happens. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well, Australian swimmers could be forced to race for gold medals at midnight in Rio under a scheduling plan that has been labeled ridiculous by a former Australian swimming champion, Libby Trickett. In another case of commercialization, running the Olympic Games, according to the Brisbane Courier Mail, it's revealed that the draft schedule for swimming events in Rio is for the final session to begin at 10 p.m. local time, with some sessions slated to finish after midnight. Yes, it's Midnight Madness at the Olympics. No other sport faces such an extreme change to their usual schedule. The move is yet to gain final approval by the IOC. There's an alternate scenario with the finals starting at 7.30. It's believed to a later evening time slot has been requested by NBC so they can show the event live in primetime across the U.S. with races then starting at 9 p.m. in New York and 6 p.m. in L.A., NPA NBC, of course, paid a staggering four point four bill for the Olympic rights. Trickett feared, this is at the expense of elite athlete performance. It's silly that the early that's the only thing that can really bug me sometimes about the Olympics, says Swimmer Trickett, is it's such an amazing event with such with amazing physical feats being produced, but then there is that commercialized side of it. I understand it is an incredibly important part of being able to put on such an amazing event, but they need to be respectful and mindful of the athletes and what they're asking them to do on top of everything else that is in the Olympics. To think that won't actually have an impact on the athletes is crazy, absolutely crazy, Trickett said. Meanwhile, Tokyo is looking to slash the price tag for the 2020 Summer Olympics by almost 2 billion dollars through scrapping or scaling back plans to build new facilities amid fears over spiraling costs. 3 times the initial estimate, now at 3.8 billion. They may violate their pledge to hold almost all the events in Tokyo, one proposal is to have basketball in Osaka, 400 kilometers west of Tokyo. Bidding for the Olympics will become cheaper, easier, and more attractive. And sports will enter the games quicker, the IOC said this week, presenting the biggest changes in decades in the way the games are organized and run. We want to show with these procedure that the IOC is opening up, said Thomas Back, head of the IOC, that we are opening a window, and we want to have fresh wind coming in. That's what you smell, ladies and gentlemen. Fresh Olympic wind. Four of the six cities bidding for the 2022 Winter Games dropped out fearful of costs, denting the Games' reputation as a lucrative project. where did they get that reputation? Now the IOC will foot part of the bill for bidding, including paying for Evaluation Commission visits, which had previously been paid for by candidate host cities. Future hosts can also stage events outside the city or even outside the country, that's bidding for reasons of sustainability, breaking with a long Olympic tradition of one host, city, and nation. A fresh winds a-blowing. The Olympics, it's a movement, and we all need one. Every day. Ladies and gentlemen, the story of the the entwinement of our political system with public employee pension funds and private equity alternative investment firms continues. David Sirota of International Business Times is doing major reporting on this story. There's intensifying scrutiny, he says, of donations flowing to... Chris Christie and his political organization in New Jersey from executives of financial firms that manage ever larger slices of New Jersey's $80 billion state pension system. This week, private equity executive Robert Grady announced he's stepping down from the chairmanship of the New Jersey State Investment Council. That's what makes decisions on the investments of pension funds. Christie called Grady a friend of mine for nearly 40 years. In recent months, campaign finance documents revealed that under Grady's leadership, the state of New Jersey has awarded lucrative pension management contracts to hedge fund, private equity, venture capital, and other alternative investment firms whose executives just happen to make campaign contributions to Christie's campaign, his state party, the Christie-led Republican Governors Association, and the Republican National Committee. The donations were made despite New Jersey and federal rules aiming to restrict contributions to state officials like Christie who oversee pension investment decisions. Grady, former executive of the Carlyle Group, a hedge fund or private equity group, I believe, was in regular communication with Christie's campaign officials at the time the campaign was raising money and he was overseeing the state's pension investments. Grady pushed New Jersey to move pension money into an investment in which his private financial firm was also investing. New Jersey also invested in Carlyle Group funds during Grady's tenure. He justified his push to invest more state employees' retirement money in alternative areas by arguing such investments would maximize returns. Yet while fees paid to Wall Street firms have spiked during Grady's tenure, New Jersey's pension system's returns have trailed the median returns for similarly sized public pensions. This gap has effectively cost New Jersey taxpayers billions in unrealized returns. New Jersey's alternative investment portfolio trailed the Standard and Poor 500 every year. Grady oversaw the state's pension system, losing the state more than five billion. It would have garnered had it moved the money into traditional stocks and stock index funds. This is re- reiterate something that Eve Smith reported on this program some weeks ago: that for all their high-flying reputation, private equity does not bring state pension funds, state public employee pension funds, higher returns than they could have gotten just by letting the monkeys choose the stocks. You know that research. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I have said, I don't know if I've said it on the air. I've said it in public, uh, apropos of the move of this program to a different home station in in Southern California after uh, it was pulled off the radio transmission of uh, the previous station, although retained online, because I said, you know, broadcasting still has its place, an important place, and so do landline phones. And I made the same case about both of them, that when an emergency strikes, your cell phone and your computer are not going to be something you could depend on for emergency information. You're much better off with a portable radio and with a landline phone. This from Ars Technica, website about technical stuff. The shift from copper landlines to fiber-based voice networks is continuing. No one wants it to happen faster than Verizon. Not everyone wants fiber because when it comes to voice calls, the newer technology doesn't have all the benefits of the old copper phone network. In In particular, fiber doesn't conduct electricity, which copper does. That means when your power goes out, landlines might keep working for days and weeks by drawing electricity over the phone lines while the phone that relies on fiber will only last as long as it's... Oh, sorry, my battery ran out. Thus, while many customers practically beg for fiber, others, particularly those who have suffered through long power outages, want Verizon to keep maintaining the old copper lines, but Verizon and AT&T as well continue to pressure customers to switch, and they uh, allege, the customers do, that the the legacy phone companies are not keeping the copper lines repaired, not even, um, you know, when wind knocks down a power line, not even putting them back up, uh, a phone line, because that encourages you to switch to wireless, where I think the profit margin is higher. I don't know. That's just a guess. It seems so unlike them, though. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this week we lost uh, two performers that I was kind of fond of. And so I went back to The uh, early days of um, a comedy duo who really tore it up in the the 1960s with improvisational sketches that were sold on comedy records, of all things. Some of their stuff was highly sophisticated. Some of it was a bit broader. A lot of it took place in doctor's offices. Nicholas and May. Good afternoon, Miss Blum.
3: Hello,
0: Doctor. Oh,
3: I'm so anxious today. I really
0: am. i I
3: had the most incredible night.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. I,
3: I can't tolerate it.
0: Tell I, me about it.
3: Oh, The most depressing thoughts. A, a feeling of such doom, Doctor. Such a loss. Yeah. It's as though I've lost something. I'm not sure what. Something that was very close to me and that I... I'm like... Grieving, I don't even
0: know for what. Tell me about it. Sorry, tell me about it.
3: There's this feeling of despair, as though.
0: When did you did it start? Last uh, last. Sorry, last night.
3: Yes. So, uh, almost about an hour after I left you, I suddenly I was making dinner and so I. Just, oh,
0: it was after you left, here.
3: Yes, I didn't even care about anything. Remember, we were we were working out my feelings toward my father and. Yes. And my anger at
0: him. Oh, I do remember very well. And of
3: course, there was a a fee- that might it might help if you just held your breath.
0: Thank you. Go on. And
3: there was a feeling. I don't know. I was ashamed when I left you. I'm not sure what I was ashamed of. <sighs> Did it work?
0: I think so. Yeah. But you were ashamed. Yeah.
3: And uh, I am not sure what I was ashamed of. You have to hold it longer. Yeah, all right. I'm not sure what I was ashamed of. I. Then, as I went home, I remembered an incident that happened, strange incident. My father had been sick a great deal of the time when I was a child. Yes, you mentioned it. And uh, we'd taken care of My mother had and I had. And one day, he was feeling very ill. And my mother, of course, Sorry. had to work. Do you have any water?
0: Yeah, I'll try some water.
3: <laughs> my mother, of course, had to work. And uh, she supported us. And my father was very sick, and he asked me if I'd Stay home and take care of him. Mm-hmm. And uh I I didn't want to. I wanted to go out and play. And he uh you know, if you held your breath while you drank it and sip it very slowly. All right, I'll try that.
0: Yeah.
3: And uh oh, where was I? Anyway, I wanted to go out and play. And my my father Sorry. was don't take such big swallows. Mm. And my father uh I was very sulky to him. Yeah. And uh I went. He told me he was very sick, and I—I. I,
0: How long had he been sick?
3: Oh, he'd been sick for about two or three months. Mm-hmm. He uh, was an ill man. Mm-hmm. When I went out and when I came back, he, there was an ambulance. Did you choke on the water?
0: It's all right. Go on. There was an ambulance.
3: Uh, easy to swallow the wrong way. No. Uh, and they had—he uh, had gotten very sick, and they were taking him to the hospital. And when oh. my mother very angry and yeah, she asked my father hadn't told me that I'd gone out and play she he had told me that I'd gone out for him on an error. he mm-hmm. lied for me yes and I, yes. I felt so guilty I'm, you know what, you I mean? feel
0: guilty you feel guilty now don't you
3: do you have a paper bag in the office
0: yeah I'm gonna try that go on tell me about guilty
3: um, nothing it's just obviously felt so guilty no you know as sick as he was, he, he lied for me. I just it kept that memory for years and but buried somewhere. And I remembered it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw how pale. Yesterday,
0: what brought it up? What brought it up yesterday? I was
3: going to tell you, didn't work, huh? No. I saw how uh, pale <coughs> Ben looked, you know.
0: Terribly sorry. And sorry, and I. You I... was pale yesterday? Yes. Pale?
3: And suddenly, for some reason or other, I wanted to go somewhere. Yeah. Doctor? Yeah. Yeah, Boo! yeah! Well,
0: that may have done it. I think maybe. Wait a minute. Did
3: you have my fingers crossed?
0: Yes, I think so. Oh.
3: Um, I'm sorry.
0: Well, you really tried your best, Miss Bloom. I
3: really did. I, I, I failed, but I tried.
0: Well, I'm afraid your hour is up.
3: Oh, all right, doctor. I'm, I'm awfully sorry. I couldn't... What,
0: not I? at all. Not at all. I'll see you tomorrow.
3: Yes. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.
1: From London, England, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Dave & Buster's, uh, a restaurant and entertainment chain in England that purports to be American. Well, you've heard of it, right? Has apologized after a tweet promoting its Taco Tuesday was deemed racist and offensive. Oh, it's a Texas-based company. All right. Okay. I, all right. Maybe it's part of America I... Well, it's Texas. Was accused of perpetuating racial stereotypes against the Hispanic community after it made a pun in Spanish on its Twitter account. Quote, I hate tacos, said no Juan ever. <laughs> Sorry. But the tweet didn't go down well with users who described it as not funny and racism disguised as humor. The restaurant chain ended up deleting the tweet and apologizing... We sincerely apologize for the tweet that went out today. Our intention was never to offend anyone. Please accept our apology. And our taco. Children's author Daniel Handler, pen name Lemony Snicket. Here's another humorous thing gone wrong. He apologized for a racial joke he made to a chilly reception at the National Book Awards. On Wednesday night, the novelist joked about his surprise that black author Jacqueline Woodson, winner of the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, was quote allergic to watermelon unquote. Just let that sink in your mind, Handler said. Video was captured by C-SPAN. See it for yourself. He went on to say he needed the approval of several black writers and Barack Obama to put his observations in a book. To both laughter and grumbling from the crowd. Next day, he tweeted an apology for his ill-conceived attempts at humor. Quote. clearly failed and I'm sorry the global quality chief of Takata Corporation has apologized and an official for Honda acknowledged the automaker broke a disclosure law A Senate committee was putting the spotlight on a growing problem with exploding airbags <laughs> Hiroshi Shimizu Takata's senior vice president of quality you have one of those at your where you are don't you said the Japanese parts supplier is deeply sorry and anguished about each instance when its airbag inflators didn't perform as designed. The airbags have been blamed for five deaths worldwide. The company accepts full responsibility for three of those. Two others are still investigation, under investigation. More than eight million cars have been recalled to fix the potentially faulty inflators, which can explode with too much force and spew metal fragments at passengers. Deadline, Moline, Illinois. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer James Taylor has apologized to his Wisconsin fans. He performed at a concert in Milwaukee November 4th, two nights later in Moline, Illinois. My favorite Moline, by the way. He praised the crowd's energy level and said they made the Milwaukee fans look like they're carved out of wood, unquote. Somebody sent a video of that to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and Taylor emailed an apology to the news outlet this week. He said he called it a cheap shot to fire up his Illinois audience and he didn't think he'd get caught in his words quote when i go to a concert i'm pretty quiet myself anyway milwaukee i didn't mean disrespect sorry can't get away with knocking other towns on your tour anymore turns out dave whalen owner of the english football or soccer club wigan athletic is officially being investigated by britain's football association after he made disparaging and racist remarks about jewish and chinese people to a major english newspaper who does he think he is donald sterling Whalen made his remarks in an attempt to defend the club's new manager, who was under investigation of his own for a slew of racist, anti-Semitic, and homophobic texts he admitted sending while employed by another team. Whalen tried to clarify the remarks he made to The Guardian, which reportedly included, quote, Jewish people chase money more than everybody else, as well as statements of how he thinks the racist slur chink isn't offensive. He offered an apology. If I have upset one person, I apologize, he said, adding he believed he was misquoted. Although the BBC posted the full interview online, all I was trying to say is the Jewish people are very similar to the English people and desire to work hard and get money. I didn't think I did anything wrong at that. And regarding chink, he doubled down on his original thoughts, inadvertently used another racist slur in the process. I would never call a Chinaman a chink, personally, he said. I don't use that kind of language, but other people do, and you do hear it used. Nice work. Nice work, sir. BBC radio host Nick Conrad apologized for some controversial comments he made about rape and advice he gave to women on how to avoid such situations, like, quote, keep your knickers on. He argued that men generally get whipped up into a bit of a storm and women should be more aware of a man's sexual desire so they don't get themselves in such situations. If you give him all the signals and then he acts upon them, you are partly responsible. He was discussing the case of convicted rapist football player Chad Evans, released from jail last month. Conrad repeatedly emphasized he wants to be careful with his words so as not to offend anybody, but his comments set a lot of people off. BBC issued a statement emphasizing that he is very sorry for his remarks. You know who hasn't apologized yet at the BBC? Look it up on my Twitter feed. Uh, Also, in a closely related development, CNN anchor Don Lemon took a moment Wednesday to apologize for an interview question that left many viewers outraged. Speaking on Tuesday night to Joan Tarshis, One of several women who recently accused comedian Bill Cosby of rape, the anchor asked whether she had considered biting Cosby's penis when he allegedly forced oral sex on her. The question left her somewhat confused, sparking a major backlash against the anchor. On Wednesday, he took to the air to apologize. Quote, as I am a victim myself, I would never want to suggest that any victim could have prevented a rape. He said, if if my question to her struck anyone as offensive, I am sorry. That certainly was not my intention. He had previously identified himself as a victim of a pedophile. But that was an if apology, wasn't it? Norwegian filmmakers apologized this week for planting fake video of the war in Syria on YouTube last week, removed the original footage following a torrent of criticism from journalists and rights advocates. A copy of the Norwegian faux-documentary Syrian Hero Boy was posted on the YouTube channel of Syrian opposition activists without any indication it was fiction. The video's director, Lars Kleberg, had initially extended... Uh, defended the ruse as an attempt to raise awareness of the suffering of children and an attemp- attest to the news media's ability to distinguish fact from fiction. Well, don't go there, girlfriend. An Iowa school district has issued an apology to students after three high school students were injured after a hazing incident in 2011. The Nautaway Valley School District apologized to students and promised incidents like this will never happen again. The apology, Superintendent Casey Burlow said... On behalf of Nottaway Community School District, its staff, employees, and myself, I want to apologize to our students and their families, names redacted per court order, for the assault that occurred to them while they were student-athletes in our wrestling program. I want to assure them that we've now put in place are enforcing policies to make sure that that type of thing will not occur again to any of our other students. The apology came part of a civil settlement as a result of the 2011 attack when three underclassmen wrestlers were sodomized with jump rope handles. That sort of thing will never happen again. Time magazine has apologized for including the word feminist in the reader's poll of terms to ban in 2015. The original post, which was published earlier this month, featured other cringe words like basic and kale, was amended to include a note from the managing editor. Time apologizes for the execution of this poll. The word feminist should not have been included in a list of words to ban. The nuance was lost. Will briefly explained that feminist was included because it's become a thing that every celebrity has to state their position on. And Barbie is sorry. In a posting on Mattel's Barbie Facebook page, reason enough not to be on Facebook, Barbie has a page there. The iconic doll apologized, or her writers did, for a 2010 children's book that portrays her failed attempt at becoming a computer engineer. In Barbie, I can be a computer engineer, Barbie is depicted as totally incompetent, dependent on the help of men unable to even restart her computer. We believe girls should be empowered to understand that anything is possible and believe they live in a world without limits, Barbie's Facebook post says. We apologize that this book didn't reflect that belief. All Barbie titles moving forward will be written to inspire girls' imaginations and portray an empowered Barbie character, unquote, Barbie's writers. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature. Of this very broadcast, so I mentioned in passing there during the apologies, the kerfuffle surrounding Bill Cosby, and uh, the Washington Post has a huge takeout today, Sunday, uh, interviews with many of the women who have come forward, named women, uh, remarkable similarity to their stories, whether they're whatever they are, there's a remarkable similarity to them, uh, and. The uh, the backlash continues. NBC, you know, uh, has canceled plans for a new sitcom starring Bill Cosby. Netflix has canceled a, a testimonial celebration celebration of his 77th birthday special program. Uh, so that's one way that this is not like the Jimmy Savile scandal in Britain, where uh, the BBC scuppered their word a uh, an investigation into Jimmy Savile's adventures as a sexual predator and instead put on an anniversary celebration documentary, no, actually concert program, paying tribute to him just before he died. Back to Cosby. um, More backlash, apparently, to follow. um, Whether more people will surface to make more accusations, whether he will have more to say than... uh, his refusal to comment in an AP interview and his silent head shaking in the uh, NPR interview last weekend—good, hard, good, hard-nosed questions, by the way, on that. Real, really tough journalistic uh, questioning. But the good news is that while some of those things have gone away, he has gotten a new endorsement deal.
4: Do you know why big kids like Rohypnol? Mm. Why? Because you don't remember you even took it. <laughs> it's guilt-free fun. And that's the same reason why grown-ups like rohypnol. You know that? Yep. But you know why some people don't like Ro Mm-hmm. Because it's a pill. Mm-hmm. Yick. Pills are medicine. They're not fun. <laughs> but you know what's fun?
2: Artificially flavored gelatin desserts. <laughs>
4: you got that right. And here's your prize a nice bowl of gel hypno.
2: What's that?
4: Well, it tastes just like that chocolate flavor you've learned to love, right? Mmm, sure does. And it's cool and creamy because I put it in the fridge and made it with something creamy, right?
2: Oh, yeah.
4: So who cares what it is, right?
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's cool and creamy. And you know what? What? It makes me feel dreamy.
4: (sighs) Even big kids need a treat. And Gel Hypno makes it easier than ever to treat them right. Gel Hypno. From the makers of Gel Hypno. When America's dad says it's good, even big kids don't cry. And when you serve Gel Hypno, the only screams you're gonna hear are screams of delight.
2: Demon in my bed, the gremlin in my brain. Someone up the chimney rolling, Satan is his.
1: All right, now. All right. You'll be, 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 be with in the morning. Um, well, you know what? That's that's uh, Judith Owens and my uh, reminder that uh, our Chris, our benefit charity Christmas shows now called uh, Christmas Without Tears, will be coming to New York City, San, Francis, San Francisco, Chicago, and Los Angeles uh, very shortly. And they're for the benefit of mental health charities in those local communities, as well as the... New Orleans Musicians Assistance Foundation the New Orleans Musicians Clinic, so they're and they're fun, and they're fun, and you, you stuff like that and other stuff too. Uh, a lot of lot of guests whose names you'd recognize, especially after you hear them. So, word of the wise, and that is that's a Christmas single with all ben, all proceeds to charity as well. Now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> of our friend the Atom and Addie the Atom. You are... Are you all decked out for the holidays already? Do you have your Christmas ornamentation on? No, it's just... I, I look like an ornament. Atoms
2: look like ornaments. What am I going to do? It's my proton glowing. What? Knock it off. Okay,
1: all right. Didn't want to call attention to anything. I'm sensitive about it as it is. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission blames Southern California Edison for approving the design of new steam generators... I blame him, too. Let me talk. That ended up destroying the usefulness of the San Onofre nuclear generating station. Mitsubishi Heavy Industries was blamed for the faulty design. So uh, who's going to pay for uh, tearing down San Onofre now that it's destroyed, its usefulness is destroyed? Let me guess. General Motors? No. The California Public Utilities Commission? Them? No. They decided that customers... Not stockholders of the two companies should cover most of the cost of the debacle. It had a debacle. It was a debacle by a five-to-nothing vote. Hey, at least it was unanimous. The PUC assigned three and a half billion of the cost to ratepayers. Com- customers will be paying for the failed nuclear plant until 2022. It's already been factored into their bills since 2012. So, so they're used to it now. Edison customers. Bet they're glad now, huh? Well, he should have gone to the competition, shouldn't he? Yeah, that's a good point. Dateline Las Vegas, a report from a state agency to Nevada's incoming legislature and Governor Brian Sandoval charges bias by the Federal Nuclear Regulatory Regulatory Commission staff members and urges elected lawmakers to continue to back the 25-year fight against plans and here's one of my favorite words in the nuclear vocabulary, to entomb the nation's radioactive waste. At Yucca Valley or Yucca Mountain. Say it again. In tomb. Thank you. A report approved by the Nevada Commission on Nuclear Projects alleges inappropriate interactions and relationships Mm. between NRC staff members and the Federal Department of Energy officials preparing plans for the Yucca Mountain repository. Any roofies involved? No, no, nothing like that. I don't think so. Relationships. I know. It accuses Regulatory Commission staffers of abandoning a key ethical principle and complicity in setting radiation emission standards for the project. Nobody cares about those, do they? Nevada certainly cannot rely on the NRC or the NRC staff to impartially and objectively evaluate the license application and its wildly optimistic conclusions regarding the site's suitability and safety, it said. The spokesman for the NRC, Victor Drix, said he hadn't seen the report. Approved by the State Commission. The document notes, no final decision has been made whether the Echo Mountain Project lives or dies. This is just the very beginning of the fight over the safety issues, said a uh, Nevada activist. A federal appeals court ruled last year the Nuclear Regulatory Commission must either approve or reject the Energy Department's request for a license to open. The repository officials have said a full slate of licensing hearings could take at least three years. Hey, the waste is going to be there for a minute. That's right. What's three years when you're talking million years of safety for the whoever whoever fo- for the bonobos who follow us? A South Korean public debate commission this week asked the government to build a facility by 2055, a facility to permanently dispose of spent nuclear fuel. After it made a year-long review, the public engagement commission on spent nuclear fuel management. And uh, is that got a like a brief brief way of saying it? Yeah, PICOS, which launched operations in February, reached a preliminary conclusion that a facility for the final disposal of nuclear waste should be built around 2055. The Commission has conducted a public debate through various seminars and surveys most of the past year. Interim facilities were also required to be built to temporarily store the nuclear waste, will be, t- be finally sent to the permanent disposal facility. The permanent disposal means burying spent nuclear fuel about 500 meters underground to completely separate the highly radioactive material from people. People never go that deep. No, why would they? There's hot stuff there. The year 2055... They might think it was gold. The year 2055 was targeted targeted due to falling storage space and the time necessary for test-running the facility. South Korea has been struggling to manage the spent fuel. The country is running out of storage space for the waste from its 23 light-water reactors. The space is expected to be completely full as early as 2024. Shoot it into space. Yeah, they'll like it out there. Clean, cheap, too safe to shoot into space. Our friend, the Atom. That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations of our NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the East Coast of North America, via the shortwave giant WBCQ the Planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it. HarryShearer.com and KCSN.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast through Sideshow Network, www.no.org, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Free. And it'll be just like finding a place, place for that spent fuel. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans, and to Adrian Bottom here at Global Global Radio in London, isn't it? For help with today's broadcast, the email address for this program, and a playlist of the music heard here on. Well, you can find them, yes you can, at harryshearer.com, along with Cars I Talk t-shirts. Well, that's a really awful idea for a gift for everyone on your list, isn't it? And me? I'm on Twitter at Shearer. Oh, and this Tuesday... The final episode of Nixon's The One premieres on YouTube. You might want to see it. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long and happy Thanksgiving from London, where they don't even know what that means.